I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. We are continuing our look through 60 years of Doctor Who. This time, we are landing on the second Doctor, Patrick Troughton. Uh, last time we talked about first Doctor, William Hartnell. Uh, when William Hartnell uh, started getting ill, there was a choice to be made. And it was a very hard choice because it would impact the rest of the series. And they made the choice to recast the lead in their most popular show, the BBC. Which can make or break a show, and we've seen many since, either make or break based off that. William Hartnell's final story was uh, The Tenth Planet. Which, unfortunately, we do not have all of those episodes in the archive. Uh, the only part of episode four that we know for sure that we have is the regeneration scene. And that's only because it was used in an episode of Blue Peter for the 10th anniversary of Doctor Who uh, in 73. So yeah. thank you. Thank you, Blue Peter, for that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting that uh that we have that whole sequence in its entirety uh thanks to a kids show. <laughs> a, I mean, a different it, kids show, you know. It means that at one point this episode was in the archive, it just got junked at some point between between the airing of that Blue Peter episode and when they decided, hey, maybe we should actually keep up these episodes of our most popular show. Yeah, it is it is unbelievable to people of our generation who you know, I I still have videotapes in my possession. Of things I recorded when I was a kid off of TV. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, episodes of X-Files. It's, it's You know, stuff you can buy um, professionally. And I, I still have recordings. Um, because they were so important to me. It is... Absolutely mind-boggling to me that there was ever a time when someone could go, yeah, nobody will ever want to see this again. Yeah, especially, you know, I mean, then they figured out, oh, VHS players are a thing. People are going to want to buy all of these old shows. Oh, we don't have them. 
And there, there is very little in my life that I've ever seen. And I mean, very little that you could ask me, do you ever want to see that again? And my answer would be no. But back then, again, that was a time before VHS players, before home video, where they could not make any more money after airing this once or twice. You know, nowadays, reruns actually do make a lot of money. There are entire channels dedicated to airing old television shows. And, you know, prior to streaming, people were buying complete collections of their favorite TV shows. Just there was a time where that was not a thing. And the powers that be thought this, you know, that that's not going to work. No one's ever going to want that. I mean, imagine showing those people today. There are people who are watching old television shows. How many times do you see a day people are on their upteenth rewatch of The Office? Or yeah. any other, you know, can or, you imagine? Or now, or now the idea of I put on this show that I've seen 700 times because that's what I watch when I go to bed. Or what or, I watch to unwind after a busy day at work or whatever. Or I'm that's in a bad what I watch mood. while I'm doing the dishes. Or that's what I watch while I'm cleaning the house. Or Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, those people will be blowing their minds. Like, why are they watching old television? They should be watching new television. No. The, comfort food. This television was, these shows are their comfort food. Or but they should be watching the old television that we've remade into new television. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are you watching this old movie? We just remade the movie, so you don't have to do that. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's just wild of me for me to think that there was ever a time when anybody would be like, yeah, you know, nobody would. And the same thing with me for books. You know, I, I know people who read a book and then they go, well, I'm never, never going to want that again. You know, and then they throw it away or give it away or, you know, I'm like, no, it's a book. You keep it. That's what bookshelves are for, you know. Uh, but anyway, the fact that we have that. Thank you, Blue Peter, because uh, it's an important moment in television history. The in first regeneration, history. yeah. Yeah, the first regeneration of the Doctor. So at least we have that footage. Uh, we had the audio thanks to some fans who they couldn't record the visuals, but they did have audio recording equipment. So they put that up next to the television and recorded the audio. So we were able to... Uh, you know, a company has started animating based on old scripts and the audio that we had, thanks to fans. Um, and we have these animated versions that have been reconstructed by putting those two things together. Uh, yeah. So you can watch a version of a lot of these missing serials. Which is good. Yeah, I mean, it's better than nothing. Yeah, and, and, and even if the animation isn't your cup of tea, they have released these audio versions of the episodes in a soundtrack format, so you can listen to them as an audiobook. 
Yeah. So um, and it, a lot of places have the the scripts posted so that you can you know read along and l- listen along so you can see the stage directions and what the visual information would be. And some of them have narrations. I mean, Fraser Hines, who we'll talk about in a minute, did a lot of the Second Doctor audios. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot of ways to to get some of the missing uh, serials. Not all of them unfortunately, but uh, a lot of them have been preserved in some kind of format or another, either by reading the scripts or reading um, summaries of what happened that we still have. And in some cases, fans have done what has been referred to as telesnap reconstructions, taking essentially screenshots, some of them officially by the BBC, and trying to match them up to the audio track that we just talked about. So you can got to kind of have a pseudo visual audio thing going on. And again, for a long for a long time, that was the only way to watch the missing episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, some of them are still out there too. Yeah, because uh some of them have not been fully animated yet. Um it is a massive project the sad thing about it is that the a lot of the patrick troughton years were lost to the bbc junking practice um we fortunately have the the clip that is the first uh appearance of his face but that was right at the end of the episode, and mm-hmm. you don't hear him speak. Sad, um, yeah, and unfortunately, sadly, his entire first story is lost. That would be yeah. Power of the Daleks. Uh, thankfully, that has been animated, so you can watch a version of that if you'd like. But the reason that we're talking about Tomb of the Cybermen and not the first appearance of the Cybermen is that, you know, of course, that was lost. And then the next appearance of the Cybermen was also lost. The moon base, yeah. <laughs> the moon base. And so uh, Tomb of the Cybermen is the first serial with the Cybermen that we actually have the full footage for. It is also one of the two remaining uh serials that we fully have for the appearance of Victoria Waterfield, one of the uh doctor's companions. Yeah, the other being Enemy of the World, which was the last lost episode to be found. That was ten years ago. Yeah. So as we get further and further away from the nineteen sixties, it's gonna be Harder and harder, if not near impossible, to find any of these missing episodes, if they still exist. Sadly, that's that's going to be true. Um, the people who might have had them, either it's going to be too degraded to restore, or the people who find them 
will probably just not know what it is and will throw it away as the people who had them pass. Um, and it's, it's going to be tragic. Um, then again, sometimes miracles happen as, you know, recently, uh, within the last few years, somebody just found the original work print of Mano's hands of fate in like a garage sale. (laughs) So, um, weird things have happened, uh, regarding lost media. So, uh, I wouldn't give up all hope, but it is tenuous hope. I, I admit. Um, so, but yeah, as, as far as Victoria goes, uh, we, we don't have her first story, which was intended to be the final Dalek story. Yeah, Terry Nation. We mentioned this in the in the last uh, Doctor Who episode. The Terry Nation, creator of the Daleks, he's even more of a creator of the Daleks than Davros is. Uh, yeah, he wanted to do a Dalek TV show. He uh, and he was going to go to America and make this happen. And part of that it was he he took back the permission for BBC to use the Daleks in Doctor Who, so he can do this Dalek TV show. Which never happened, unfortunately. But or, uh, I, I honestly think, fortunately, you don't think the Daleks could have survived on their own at the TV show without the Doctor. It's possible, but one, I do not want to see what Americans would have done with the Daleks, and two, I want the Daleks in Doctor Who. Like, I, I don't want to see them separated from that universe. Mm. So I'm glad it it never happened. You know, I'm I'm glad that what whatever went on there just never kind of took hold. Somewhere in the multiverse, the Daleks TV show was a hit and the time war happened with the Cybermen. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, while he was off trying to sell, you know pepper pot robots to to America and I'm sure the Americans were completely baffled at that point um it was probably uh the thing that they they brought on this other guy who was the new scientific advisor um the entire behind the scenes crew had changed by the time Patrick Troughton had come on, um, we we talked before about the original team. Um, Verity Lambert, Sydney Sydney Newman. Yeah, and both of them had left by this point to go do other things. So the team in charge at this point uh, brought in a guy named Kit Pedler, who was a scientist and also a writer and wanted him to bring a more science based center to their science fiction show now that they had given up on it being a educational historical uh, thing and they had just fully embraced the science fiction weirdness they were like well at least if it's going to be a kids show let's get a little bit of science in it um and brought in this science advisor. And they were like, we need to create something to kind of take the place of the 
the Daleks and, and be the new menace. And he came up with the idea of the Cybermen. Yeah, and the the Cybermen themselves are very unique characters. We first see the Cybermen in, in William Hartnell's final story, The Tenth Planet, which we find out that Earth had a twin planet called Mondas that was knocked out of its orbit and it sailed into the universe because science fiction. The people well, on that- also, I, I will say that also that was a really big uh, kind of conspiracy theory at the time. Mm-hmm. It, so he wasn't pulling that out of nowhere. There had been a lot of sort of pseudoscientific speculation, and sometimes there still is. It will continue to pop up in conspiracy theories now. There are still people who believe that idea that there is a secret twin planet to Earth just out of our sight. Um, and someday it's going to, the orbit is going to change and it's going to cause all kind of havoc for Earth. So it was more on the border of is that actual science that we haven't discovered yet at the time that they were writing that episode? Um, so it didn't come out of completely nowhere. There was still some possible scientific speculation that has now been completely debunked. We know enough about our solar system now that scientists are like, yeah, that is completely impossible. We have mapped the entire solar system. But at the time, it was still eh, maybe possible that we just haven't seen it. But, you know, um, it, it was a kind of interesting theory people had for a while that was still in the range of possible science fiction. So as Mondas is sailing out of orbit, they lose heat, they lose their resources, die. The Mondasians decide that the only way for them to survive is to become cybernetic creatures, calling themselves the Cybermen. And the Cybermen come back to Earth because they want their world back. They want to get rid of Earth and put Mondas back there. They take on the Doctor and his companions. And uh, thanks to Mondas gaining too much energy from the Earth, it explodes and the Cybermen seemingly die. The entire adventure takes a little too much toll on the first Doctor. And after a nice little Christmas adventure with his future self, he regenerates into Patrick Troughton. Had to put that in there. For those of you who have not seen the episode, that was a joke. No, he uh, he just collapses on the floor of the TARDIS and then uh, it, we, have, we, we haven't gotten that into, part of the series yet. <laughs> yeah, crossfades into into Patrick Troughton. It, it was it's interesting how little because regenerations are such a big deal now. It is interesting how little. Uh, build up that scene has. Yeah, now regeneration episodes have this big hype about it, and there's it's hyped around the regeneration. Like when Tennant left, that was a big deal. When Smith left, that was a big deal. When Capaldi left, that was a big deal. The yeah, and and you'll build up for several episodes, or the entire episode will be a build up as the as the the current doctor kind of 
fades or feels themselves, you know, getting weaker and they know that something is coming or you can feel it building to a big tragedy or a big goodbye. And other than the fact that the doctor had passed out in the previous episode, which had a very sad real world thing, which was that William Hartnell really did pass out on set and had to not be present for the third episode in that serial. And so they wrote the doctor out and just said he, he fainted from the stress. And then when he came back, he was like, Oh, I feel much better. But when he got to the TARDIS, he was like, I'm feeling weak again. And he passes out on the floor wearing a bit thin. (laughs) And then he, they do a kind of camera crossfade from one face into another and it's a cliffhanger. And you're like, well, why did that happen? <laughs> and then in the next episode, he's like, oh, I've been yes. renewed. When, yeah. When, when I, yeah, they don't even call it regeneration at that point. It's just, he's like, oh, you know, I was feeling a little weak and, and tired. So I renewed myself. <laughs> this is me now. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> And that was a that was a point of contention for a lot of people. Like, is this the doctor now? The doctor isn't acting like the doctor we knew, because this was this was uncharted territory. And as a way to to keep the fans, they did a Dalek episode because we were still at the, we were at the tail end of Dalek Mania. So, Power of the Daleks being the first story featuring Troughton to kind of get people in and get people used to Troughton as a doctor. Troughton coming in, he had different ideas of how he wanted to play the Doctor because uh, the producers wanted this Doctor to be fundamentally different than Hartnell's Doctor. Uh, It was actually Cindy Newman that came up with, uh, as he puts it, the Cosmic Hobo. Because uh, he was a big fan of Charlie Chaplin. And wanted Troughton to kind of be cosmic Charlie Chaplin. And so you kind of see it in Troughton's look, the the baggy pants, the unkept shirt, the loose bow tie, the rag, the the suit jacket that kind of needs a wash, the unkempt hair. And, and it kind of works for that. It kind of works for his doctor. Yeah, and the interesting thing is is that then they went and cast Fraser Hines as his most constant companion, a man who started his career in a Charlie Chaplin movie. (laughs) He was a child actor and he worked with Charlie Chaplin in a movie called King of New York. Fraser Hines is Jamie McCrimmon, our Scottish Highlander, uh, in The Highlanders, which was the very next serial. To come after this so right after taking care of the daleks here comes jamie and jamie ended up being the second doctor's most loyal companion from this point up until troughton left and heinz and troughton they've been friends for many years before this they worked together before uh heinz was supposed to be a one-off just for the serial and i guess as some sort of favor to troughton they kept him on and it's just those two are inseparable for the rest of Troughton's time. It's just, it's been two and Jamie. Yeah. And interestingly enough, uh, Jamie did give us another interesting 
television Scotsman, which is that an author uh, named Diana Gabaldon uh, was watching Doctor Who uh, in the uh, 70s and thought, uh, yeah, let this is uh, interesting. I like that Scottish guy. His name is Jamie. And when she later wrote her books called the Outlander series, <laughs> she gave her sexy Scottish hero the name Jamie. And uh, interestingly gave him the last name of Fraser, which uh, turned out to just be a coincidence because she said that the PBS station that she watched Doctor Who on always cut off the credits of Doctor Who, so she didn't know that the actor's name was Fraser Hines until years later when somebody was like, wait, did you also name him after Fraser Hines? <laughs> and she was like, no, I just like the name Fraser. So, <laughs> so yeah, we were, uh, the next appearance of the Cybermen would be in the moon base, which happened four months later. That is a quick turnaround especially in this era of Doctor Who, where that means they were starting to plan and write the Moonbase story while or even before the 10th planet was even airing. Well, I mean, if you want to turn the Cybermen into the next Daleks, you better start having them on the show a lot. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And... We find out that the Cybermen have that some Cybermen have somehow survived all of this and they are on the moon and they want to control Earth's weather because in this timeline, uh, Earth has colonized the moon and are using it to adjust the weather. Why not? Uh, that's another conspiracy theory right there. <laughs> they eventually beat the Cybermen in that one as well. Which brings us to Evil of the Daleks, which is where we introduce Victoria Waterfield, who was the daughter of someone who was killed by the Daleks, leaving her. Yeah, an he was he was researching time travel, and the Daleks were like, "Yeah, we don't like that." But she's a, a proper Victorian lady. The a interesting thing is that. A lot of uh, the second Doctor's companions are not from the modern time period of the show. With the exception of Ben and Polly, but those were leftovers from the first Doctor era. Yeah, but the ones that, that the second Doctor picks for himself are breaking with the tradition of having a modern viewpoint into the show that had always been the viewers you know kind of point was that they could have at least one character in the TARDIS that would at least say like well in my time or use you know? modern slang and stuff like that you know yeah in 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 the modern day England that I am from you know and and then the 
the viewer watching on the BBC could be like, yeah, in our time, we would never do that, you know. Uh, but so, yeah, we get Jamie, who who is from uh, who's back in the Scottish Highlands, Victoria from Victoria in England, and later we get Zoe, who's from the future. Yeah. So Jamie comes from the. Uh, they find him in the just after the Battle of Culloden, which was in uh, 1746. So, you know, 1700 Scotland. Uh, and yeah, then uh, Victorian England, you know, uh, there. Um, I think they say 1866 is where they pull her from specifically. So. Yeah, I mean, these are, are they're about 100 years apart from each other, but they're also very much not the 1960s audience that would be watching The Second Doctor. But they quickly put them in 1960s dress. Well... They put Victoria almost immediately in 1960s dress because uh, this particular episode, uh, the first episode of the Tomb of the Cybermen serial, she is still, she. we get her introduction to the TARDIS. She walks into the TARDIS and does the whole, oh, it's bigger on the inside and, and all that, that the companions always do. And the doctor immediately says like oh you know you're still in giant victorian corset and skirts and all that um you will be very uncomfortable on our adventures if you continue wearing that jamie why don't you go show her where she can find something more appropriate and she returns in a modern 1960s women's dress with women's heels for the time period um, so she immediately looks like a modern woman. Jamie, however, is still wearing his kilt. He's wearing a modern and sweater, though. He well, he well in that serial, he is wearing a more modern men's shirt. Um, so I will give him that, but he is still wearing his kilt from presumably from the the battle that he brought with him and he is wearing uh shoes and long socks um that are slightly more modern so i'll give i'll give him that too the socks at least are more modern because he doesn't have anything to hold him up but keeping the kilt (laughs) but yeah i mean it's like jamie jamie is very much hey i don't i i I never shall trousers touch my legs Jamie, where's your trousers? Yeah. Um, this, this, I, I, I mean, I, I, I really give it to Jamie and I also give it to the doctor because Victoria seems initially very uncomfortable as a Victorian woman would in a dress so short. So when the doctor kind of says like, Oh, I see you've changed clothes. And she's, she remarks that her dress seems very short. He turns around and says, uh she says like my dress don't you think the skirt is a little bit short and he says oh nonsense look at jamie's which because the the hem of of jamie's kilt is shorter than the 
the hem of Victoria's dress. And Jamie immediately does that thing of like, it's it's not a skirt, it's a kilt. And, but he kind of stops himself in the middle and goes like, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> like, yes, you, you are correct. <laughs> the hem of my kilt is shorter than her skirt. It's fair. Well, no, it's... <laughs> It, it, it's he immediately tries to t- tries to do the thing that that so many men do of like it's not a skirt it's a kilt but honestly a kilt is is just a pleated skirt i mean it's just like a, it's just a skirt like there's nothing wrong with with that statement you know it's just a particular type of skirt that is specifically worn by men of Scottish descent in particular situations, there is nothing wrong with that. Um, and I kind of like that Jamie kind of stops himself in the middle and just goes like, yeah, no, you're right. It's, it's a skirt. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't care. Moving on. <laughs> and this opening scene is another first is this is the first time we hear the doctor's age. Where he says his, he is 450 years old. Oh, he's so young back then. I know. <laughs> it was kind of cute hearing him be like, oh, no, I'm, I must be about, oh, in, in Earth years, I would be like 450, I suppose. Like, and I was like, oh, you baby. So adorable. We get Tennant saying he's 900. We got... We got Smith saying he's a thousand. Capaldi says he's two thousand. Four fifty is a baby. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's 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 really really cute. the The interesting thing is is that not only is this one called Tomb of the Cybermen, so it's it's the audience is immediately like, oh yeah, we're we're doing Cybermen, but we see a group of humans. In a quarry. It's all right, everybody. We're in a quarry. You can relax. It's going to be a good episode. We're properly in a quarry. This group of humans is like, oh, let's blast away a bit of rock. And there's a door. Let's go up to the door. And just on the door are carvings of Cybermen. So, <laughs> and very obviously Cybermen. Like, they're not trying to hide it. Um, yes. So episode- the audience is immediately like, okay, we're screwed. <laughs> Yes, this episode takes place on the planet Telos, which uh, later in the episode we find out that after the Doctor destroyed their planet, and they specifically said, after you destroyed our planet, we had to find a new world, and we found Telos, and here we are. <laughs> which uh, but the, you- the interesting thing is, is that this is several hundred years in the future, because the... The first encounter with Cybermen took place in the far-flung future of 1986. So this is, we are told that the Cybermen uh, in this one have been entombed for over 500 years, I think they say. It has been at least that long since the last encounter with the, the Cybermen in the timeline they even mentioned the moon base that's why you're at the moon base you need this so we are technically in chronological order of the cybermen for now that will change as we get further through the classic series 
Yeah. The fascinating thing is that the doctor lands right after they this expedition which is supposedly archaeological you know they're just like oh you know we found this tomb we're gonna open it and they say that the cybermen all died out 500 years ago and the second order and jamie wander up and they're immediately like cybermen bad nope goodbye <laughs> we are not opening this door and victoria's like what's a cyberman they're like hey you remember the daleks like that but you know really really bad and they can walk and she's like oh yeah no that sounds bad let's not do this um yeah one thing i want to note before we really deep dive into this is that this is this is a straight up takeoff of the mummy type of story a mysterious tomb in a mysterious desert and you know what i think everyone has seen at least one incarnation of the mummy and you know what happens after that <clears throat> yeah i mean this is just archaeologists digging around where they shouldn't and you know somebody there is not who they claim to be and they have ulterior motives for going grave robin i mean yeah it's it's a pretty basic plot but doctor who and honestly doctor who has done this plot multiple times in 60 years but this was the first time really that doctor who kind of did this plot i think this is a trope as old as tropes i mean yeah. it's just you you dig something up that you shouldn't have dug up i mean this is also the story of aladdin you know it just maybe you leave that thing buried in the in the desert you know you you dig far enough into any story and you're gonna find connections like that so i'm not gonna ding it too hard for that but yeah this is this is kind of basically a, a mummy story the doors are electrified because they're big metal doors built into a mountain and Poor unnamed crewman just tried, oh, I'll open it, and then electrified and died. Poor unnamed crewman, we hardly knew ye. I love that this expedition of multiple uh, nationalities of people with all kinds of different accents are using the British pound. <laughs> because the, the woman who really wants inside the tomb is like, 50 pounds to the first person that can open that door. Um, so I, I love this, this international crew hundreds of years into the future are using the British pound. <laughs> the pound is somehow still active thousands of years, however many years from now this is, you know. Five, yeah, they're not, they're not going like really sci-fi on it and saying like credits or, you know. Yeah. Our little expeditioners here have to. The Cybermen have set up this series of logic puzzles. So, yeah, Keeg here, who is like the financial backer or whatever of this expedition, claims to be like this highly intelligent man. His his group, the, logis the logicians, what a name, are, you know, they're, they're the smartest people on Earth. And for someone who claims to be one of the smartest people on Earth, can't figure out these logic puzzles to get into the actual tomb. The doctor figures it out because he is the doctor. 
And all of these logic puzzles are 100% techno babble gobbledygook. But it works because it's Doctor Who. But I, I, and I think that's the point is that Keeg says he's the smartest man, but he can't figure it out. And but he still goes, goes on and on about how smart he is, and the the Cyberman needs his intelligence to, to prosper. Well, I think that the other thing that's funny about it too is that the Doctor just kind of sits there and very easily solves these puzzles in the way that you would tell a child like maybe the circle goes into the circle shaped hole you know like <laughs> it goes in the square hole <laughs> yeah it's like it's, it's the way that you talk to like a three-year-old trying to put together like their first little puzzle you know um but then he the doctor also gives him the warning of but you shouldn't do it because bad things will happen and the guy's like no, I have figured it out. I am the smartest, you know, but which I think is very funny. But also, I think that it's also showing that humans would not have gotten there without the hubris of the doctor. The doctor just had to point out how much smarter he was than this guy, which is a frequent failing of the doctor the doctor does in most of his incarnations especially in these early years like to show off how smart he is for the lowly humans and frequently that gives him a trouble into trouble he needs an audience let's be real the doctor needs an audience to show how clever he is which yeah, is, and and it it leads to a lot of bad things. Like if the doctor had just looked at it and been like, "Oh yes, you you should keep working on this logic puzzle," like the guy would have probably never gotten through. And but, there's a lot of times when you see the doctor, like you know, the 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 guy is going like, "Oh yes, you know, if I push this button and that button and this button over here," and then as soon as his back is turned the doctor will like move a lever or push a button or whatever that he's missed and that'll be the thing that opens the door and the guy will be like yes i knew that was the solution you know but really it was the doctor and i was like doctor if you had just kept your fingers off the controls the thing wouldn't have opened and you wouldn't have released the cybermen like but can the doctor- we maybe not do that but the doctor even says he's there for the same reason they are. They are. He's there to see, but he's there to make sure the Cybermen stay frozen, stay in this tomb, while everyone else is. Well, we're we're going to free the Cybermen. We're going to do this, that, and the other. And he. Well, you know what would have kept the Cybermen frozen in the tomb? Not pushing those buttons. <laughs> yeah, but the doctor has to be the doctor. No matter whose face he has. I know the the plot has to happen, but sometimes you just gotta be like, you know what would have helped if you'd have just gotten in the TARDIS and left. If you'd have just been like, oh, those look like Cybermen statues. I'm gonna go. Ninety <laughs> percent of Doctor Who episodes would should just end with Doctor saying nope and getting the TARDIS and getting out of there, to the point <laughs> where writers have to find a way to. Make sure they can't get to the TARDIS. Yeah. 
We need to write the TARDIS if, if out Doctor, of the show. If Doctor Who was nope, <laughs> I think the universe would be a lot safer. <laughs> That's what we need. We need Daniel Kaluuya in the TARDIS. <laughs> Daniel Kaluuya just walks out of the TARDIS, sees a, a carving of a Cyberman, just like, nope, and then just walks back into the TARDIS. <laughs> yeah, the end of episode. It's like a two-minute episode. <laughs> <laughs> just Kiki Palmer walks out of the TARDIS and goes like, no, nope, I'm not here for this. Bye. <laughs> Best companion ever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the doctor causes more trouble than he than he helps sometimes. So of course the doctor has to help the guy figure out the logic puzzles, and things start happening, including uh, the people we dying. have a whole well yeah people dying because but that wasn't the doctor's fault. That was uh, Jamie. And, well, Jamie didn't know what was going to happen. He technically Jamie was sitting at Ty's during that point. Yeah, the him and another member of the expedition were in a control room. And the whole problem with this expedition is, you know, spoiler alert, there are two evil people in this expedition who are part of this brotherhood of logicians that were there to wake the Cybermen. Everybody else is just, they just think they're there on a normal archaeological expedition. Like, we're going to go to this tomb, we're going to dig up the bodies of Cybermen or whatever, and we're going to find out how they died. You know? Maybe take some bits and put them in a museum. Normal archaeology stuff. Okay. The two evil people are like, oh, we're going to go resurrect the Cybermen and make a deal with them and gain power and take over the world. Normal evil people stuff. Okay, so, so here, here, here is my thing that they do not consider. Now, this is not a flaw of the episode, but a flaw of the characters and their own hubris. Keegan and Katan are two villains for this are two human villains for this story. What do the Cybermen gain by aligning themselves with human logicians that they couldn't already do on their own? Besides freeing them, besides freeing the Cybermen, getting them the energy they need, why would they care about the logicians trying to start the New World Order? And I'm not talking to one with Hulk Hogan. The thing is, is that this is the flaw in every collaborator. Collaborators always think that they'll be the exception. It's, I, I call it the surely exception. Surely they'll make an exception for me. You know? Don't call me surely. So <laughs> even if, you know, yes, in that, in that sense. Even if they, uh, understand which i think that they might not fully understand what the cybermen are but even if they do like cybermen want to convert everyone to cybermen you know okay even if they understand that the collaborator always thinks 
but surely they'll make an exception for me because I provide them something that the other can't. Okay. Surely the cougars biting your face party aren't going to bite my face off. Yeah, it's it's that meme. But as we all know, you know, that it will bite your face off. That's the whole point. Um so if you ally with a group who are like I, I hate everybody that looks like you and you're like well that seems all right if i could get on your side you'll make an exception for me like eventually they're going to turn on you too they've already told you they're going to do that so if the cybermen are like we want to convert all humans into cybermen and you're like hey i'll help you do that eventually there's going to come a point where you're still a human and they're going to want to convert you into a cyberman Okay, it might be now, it might be later, but eventually it's going to happen. And that happens in every Cyberman story that a human allies with them up until the modern day, where surely I'll be the exception. I will be staying a human. No, you're going to get converted, which leads me to talk about the awesome uh, cliffhanger of episode two. Where they unfreeze the tomb and you see the Cybermen breaking through that that plastic shielding and they're all coming out of the of the ice and we see the cyber leader. But this is the first time we've ever seen a cyber leader in the show. Yeah, the introduction of the cyber controller. Yeah. Also the introduction of the Cybermats, but we haven't gotten to them yet. But yeah, yeah but uh and the cyber leader looking at our uh, Keeg here, and you know he's Keeg is telling him, "You're alive because of us. You will work for us. We are your saviors." And then the cyberman, the cyber controller, looks at him and says, "You will be like us. You will become one of us." And the very robotic. Uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been a filter back then, would it? No. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's modulator that kind of, you know, modulator, vocoder, whatever they're they're using to make that, that sound. Which, which at the end of the second episode is great, but they upped the pitch in the third episode, and I had to turn on the subtitles because I couldn't understand the dang thing they were saying. Yeah, it is it is kind of difficult if you have any sort of, you know, audio processing or or hearing loss or anything like that. It is really difficult to understand what any of the Cybermen are saying throughout this. Um, they've mostly found a good balance in the way they do the voices now for both the Daleks and the Cybermen in the current series. Shout out Nicholas um, Briggs. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, the modulation is a little less harsh and it's a little more understandable, but in the, in the old audio, it's so difficult to understand what they're saying a lot of times. So thank you to all of the captioners who worked so hard to make sure that uh, people like like me can understand them. Um, but yeah, the the look on 
when they come back into the third episode and you see Klieg being like, oh my goodness, what is going on? Like, no, 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 I'm, I'm the smart one. I'm the one that saved you. You owe me. And they're like, we don't owe you anything. You will be one of us, you know? You have fear. You have emotions. We will take care of that. <laughs> yeah. And eventually he's like, no, but I'm really smart. Look at me with the big brain. And they're like, okay, fine. We will make you cyber controller of the new race of Cybermen. And he's like, yeah, that's not really any better. Uh, still don't want to have my brain cut out and put in a robot. And they're like, we don't care. You know, although I will say that the voices of the Cybermen in this story, um, maybe I'm a, I'm a, maybe I'm in the minority is a lot better than the original Cybermen voices. The ones that they would reuse for uh, for the 12th Doctor, the one that sounds in a very sing song voice. What are these emotions you speak of? Honestly, I kind of like that one better. I prefer I prefer that voice. Yeah. I mean, I do because at least it it modulates and it makes the it makes the audio easier for me to understand personally. Fair enough. But um, yeah. So we've got the thing is, is that I had a bit of problems with the villains because. Klieg, you can kind of get his thing. He's he's the guy who thinks too much of his own intelligence. But the one I didn't really get is what is Kaftan getting out of this? The woman that's with them that's she seems to be the real one in charge because there's that one scene where she's crying where she kind of manipulates Klieg into going back and addressing the Cybermen again. Yeah, she seems to be the one that's actually in control. She wanders around like she's really in charge of things. But I don't understand what her motivation is. I think she's also a logician. It seems seemingly that she is. And, you know, her and Klieg are in cahoots together. And she's the one that stays behind in the first few episodes. She's the one that that poisons Victoria's drink and. You know, she's, and and locks Victoria in the the cyber rejuvenation thing and tries to turn her into a Cyberman or something. I don't know what what her plan was there, but she's the first one that we see that we're like, oh, she's the evil one, and we don't really figure that Klieg is the evil one until later when he's actually waking up the Cybermen. But the thing is, is that. I don't understand her personal motivation, except that we are both part of this group. Like, Klieg is very much like, I want power. I want to be in control of the Cybermen. I want to give them orders. I want to rule the world. And she's just like, yeah, we're both part of this organization. And I'm also here. She's evil because she has a sort of German accent. That's as far as yeah, and so does he. I mean, yeah. you know that that seems to be their their kind of motivate. You know, their motivating factor is that we're vaguely 
German. And then, of course, we haven't mentioned the the one really problematic bit of the episode, which is that Kaftan, the, the woman with the vaguely German accent, has a large black man named Toberman who seems to be her servant. Yeah, they I'm going to the... use the term servant. That's <laughs> what they use in the episode, yeah. Yeah. Toberman. Mm. Uh, okay. He barely says anything, and he just follows her around silently and does whatever she says. And she and he's all he, his introduction in the episode. The first thing we see of Toberman is he has to be told not to walk off a cliff. So they're already setting up Toberman as not all that bright. Even at the end of the episode, the doctor has to tell him how to be moral. The Cybermen are evil. We destroy evil. Ah, destroy evil. I'm really hoping that that, like, kind of Frankenstein monster voice that they gave him at the end was due to him being like halfway through a cyber conversion and not like the only external thing we see of the cyber conversion is that he now has one arm that has like metal on it and like a lobster claw hand, like the other Cybermen. But I'm really hoping that we're supposed to think that his speech being kind of stunted and not being able to use full sentences was part of the cyber conversion as well. Please, please, please let that be what they were trying to get across. Because <laughs> the other is just too awful to think about. Especially considering this is all, I mean, I get that this is England, but at the same time this episode is airing in the United States, we're going through the civil rights movement. Yeah. And the, like, one of the first black actors on Doctor Who ever had only appeared, like, a few serials before in the first Cyberman episode ever. So, yeah, I mean, we're we're not that far into finally having black people on Doctor Who just at all. And this is the representation we get. And that first guy was an astronaut. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was that was really decent representation. He was presented as like a scientist and a. You know, like and any other person of color that we've seen on Doctor Who at this point has been brown face and yellow face. Yeah. Up um, and and that even goes up until the early nineteen eighties. So yeah, we're, we're that that's gonna be fun if we ever do those. The, no. Okay, I'm gonna say this right now. Fourth Doctor fans, we are not doing the talons of Wang Chiang. Yeah. We are not. But you know, back back to this guy. I'm I'm just going to to try to to say hopefully that that's what they were doing there. Um, but 
Toberman could have been so so much better. Like if he was just like the silent bodyguard type, it would have made his character so much more so much better than just or just black- a bodyguard. Like yeah. just give him three or four lines and he can be a bodyguard. It's fine to have he is a very large muscular man it's fine to just be like this is my bodyguard especially since our two villains are supposed to be very wealthy financiers of this expedition and they (laughs) and part of their evil thing is we want the physical might of the cybermen because we're very smart but we're not very powerful physically i mean that's fine to be like look, we had to pay a dude to be our bodyguard because we are small and weak. It's it's fine. That's part of their character arc is like, we want an army of big, strong, robotic, cybernetic people. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's fine. Just give Toberman like two or three lines. Okay. That's fine. He he's a bodyguard. Fine. Rich yeah. people have bodyguards. It's okay. And that would have made his character a <laughs> hundred times more better than we got in this episode. Yeah. But but and of course he's the only person we see like undergo cyber conversion. So also, you know, a little problematic. But you know. There is a great scene in episode three here. I want to talk about that for a minute. Is that we, you know, the doctor, this is where we see, you know, more of the fatherly, grandfatherly version of the doctor here, where he's concerned about Victoria. Like, are you okay, Victoria? You know, you haven't traveled, but this is our, your first adventure with us. Are you okay? And she decides, you know, she goes on about, you know, how she misses her father, that if it wasn't for the Daleks, she wouldn't, she would have her dad. Her father would still be alive. And she's still grieving over the loss of her father. And she kind of makes a joke. Well, doctor, you're so old. You probably don't even remember your family, which he takes it as an insult. But, you know, he there's that night. I mean, there's that. It shows a, some great acting by Troughton. Where he goes, you know, we, you know, of course you'll miss your father. I ha- I miss my family, too. But in time, you'll forget about the pain. You know, uh, I can see my family anytime I want to, but the rest of the time they sleep in the back of my mind and it'll happen to you as well because we're going to go on all of these great adventures together. Which Yeah, it, it was it was such a nice thing about, you know, grief and memory and how at the beginning those memories are so fresh that it's all you can think about because that's the chunk of your memory, you know, it just happened to her. Yeah. I mean, it, it just happened, but he's talking about how many new and happy memories they're going to make together and how much more life she has in front of her. And as that grows, you know, the, the grieving, the time of grieving will be a lesser 
chunk in in her memory um which is such an interesting way to think about it you know and especially it, when you're explaining it to children and victoria is supposed to be a young teenager at this point in, in the series yeah so she would be right a little bit older than the general child audience that would be watching doctor who at this point yeah, and she she is kind of a, not a replacement, but she is kind of stepping in for, like, Susan, you know? Mm. Um, and when you're, when you talk about the way children experience time, time seems to move more slowly for them. Because every year of their life is so big a chunk of their life as a whole to that point. You know, when you're 10 years old, every year you've lived is a tenth of your life. That's a huge chunk of time to you. So years seem to stretch on forever. But as you get older and you go, man, where did the year go? Well, it's because it's becoming a smaller and smaller chunk of your life as a whole, you know, and then decades become a more manageable chunk of time to you because that becomes a bigger chunk of a percentage of your life, you know, and it's a very fascinating way to talk about grief to a child you know like you don't remember this morning so much because that was a very small amount of time to you but you remember last year being forever because that's a big chunk of time to you you know um and so that's a fascinating way to talk about how grief forms in your memory and as you go on that time of grief will just take up a smaller and smaller amount of your memory it is such a beautiful moment and that one stuck out to me too you're right just this quiet little moment in the middle of all this chaos and we don't really see that even in later series of the classic era or even the modern era where a character will just slow the story down and say are you doing okay how are you? How are you doing in this very dangerous situation we're in? Granted, because we don't have the time to do that anymore, especially in the modern series, since these are these are one-hour episodes and we got to get through really fast. But for these earlier sh- earlier series, which are four episodes or more, to take that time and have that conversation especially with children watching at home it's it's a nice touch and it really does add character to the doctor that he's still that deep deep inside he's still a little bit of that grandpa figure that we saw with the with the original doctor yeah i i really liked that bit i think what i what i like about troughton's version of the doctor most is that he's so much funnier. I, I mean, 
the humor of the doctor would become one of his defining traits over the years. Um, and people, people think about it a lot with, you know, when we get to like fourth doctor and, you know, but I think that Troughton is highly underrated. And I think it's just because so much of his stuff got lost. Troughton has been such an inspiration to so many other actors who've played the drop who played the doctor, like you said, Tom Baker, Sylvester McCoy, especially when we get to Sylvester McCoy, you could, you will see a lot of the Trouton influence and especially Matt Smith, amazingly enough. And I'm not just talking about the bow tie. Uh, yeah. Trouton talks a lot with his hands. Matt Smith has incorporated that into his version of the doctor and especially, you know, the, 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 the clown, there's a lot of that in Matt Smith's Doctor. The the way he he jokes around with Jamie where it's not, not necessarily picking on him or bullying him in the same way that Hartnell's Doctor occasionally would. Mm. But it feels more friendly, you know? Like like uh like brothers almost. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely feels very companionable. And I use that term, you know, of course, in the, the full meaning, because, you know, Jamie is in the role of companion there. But it really does feel very close. And, that, um, and, that's, in that on, sense. and that's on the close friendship between Troughton and Hines. Yeah. Like, there, there's a lot of scenes where their own real life friendship just bleeds through the screen. And when he, when he says things to, you know, especially in this, this particular story, when he says stuff to Victoria as well, it doesn't feel misogynistic, even though there is so much misogyny in this serial that we haven't even touched on. But it doesn't really feel like it's coming from the doctor. The other men in the story really treat Victoria horribly, but the doctor does not. The doctor just seems confident in her abilities. He trusts um, her. You know, he even says, Hey, I need you to stay up here. Not, you know, at first he says, you know, to keep you safe, doctor, I can take care of myself. Okay. I need you to wash the bad guy. Can you do that for me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he says he says it kind of loud, more loudly, like, I, I need you to stay up here to keep you safe. And it kind of sounds initially like, I, I need you to stay up here because you're a fragile little woman. But when she's like, I am perfectly capable, he leans in and he's like, I know that that woman over there is the bad guy. You need to watch her. She is going to mess with levers and stuff if you are not here to watch the bad guy, you know. And then she's like, oh, bad guy. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Can do. Um but the other the other men, um, sometimes even Jamie a little bit, but less so. Um, but definitely the men in the expedition are immediately like, all right, women and minorities over there in the corner, let us white men handle this, which is just the worst. 
I mean, hey. and it's like, what did you do, Vic? I don't know. And don't call me Vic. <laughs> yeah, there are two guys that I was just like, I want a Cyberman to come out here and just absolutely karate chop these two dudes in the neck. Because <laughs> they were just being so awful to Victoria. Because they just kept going out here and being like, all right, little lady, stand over there in the corner. And they called her Vic every single time. She was like, that is not my name. I do not like that. Call me Victoria. That is my name. And and no matter how many times she said it, they were like, all right, Vic, go over there and make us some coffee, sweetie. Like, oh. If they had called her Vicky, she might have thrown hands. (laughs) Yeah, and I kind of wanted her to. I was like, you know, I'm sure there's a gun in the room. I'd be okay with that. There was a gun in the room. No, no, I mean, I know. I'm like, I've seen several guns in this room. Please just go pick one up and just wave it in their vague direction at the very least. Like, (laughs) I'm a cyber gun. The cyber gun seems to work the best, which, you know, plays into the final episode here. Yeah, throw a cyber mat at him. It'll be okay. Um, but yeah, there's just they're, they're, those two guys. Like I, I had such animosity towards them by the end of it. I was like, please, one somebody pick pick one of those guys up and throw him at the other guy. Um, but speaking of picking up, there is there is one hilarious point where a Cyberman picks up Toberman, and you can see the um the wire that is attached to Toberman in order for the stuntman to lift him up into the air. (laughs) And it is so bad. And it's not even like you catch a glimpse of it for a second. It's just like, they didn't even care. It was like, you know what? There's going to be like six year olds watching this. They they are not even going to notice. They made no effort to have it blend into his clothing. Cause where he's wearing a white shirt. For the first few episodes, before the cyber conversion, he's wearing a white shirt and the cable is jet black. Yeah, and you, you can, you can see, see it like the on whole the shirt. harness belt. I mean, it just is just so hilarious that you could see like the stuntman is not even lifting his weight as he goes up into the air. Like, it's so funny. Oh, it's so Which funny. Which is worse, that or later where Toberman and the Cyberman wrestle off screen and all of a sudden he comes back with a dummy that he throws <laughs> oh yeah that dummy has absolutely no weight to it like I, what's so funny is because of the earlier scene i was expecting to see another wire and so i was looking for the wire because i thought it was just going to be like him holding a human up like you know still the same stunt guy and instead he just hurls this like two pound if that like just floppy dummy like they didn't manage to give it any rigidity or any weight as he like throws it across the room into a console and i was like oh my goodness what is that thing made out of balloons like it's just but it's still a better effect than the to the the paper doll that fa- that falls into the acid back in the Daleks. <laughs> yeah, that was that was really funny, but yeah, it just it was so hilarious that that dummy. I was like, oh man, that was that that was just the worst. Um, 
But at least earlier when they had the the scene where the dummy Cyberman gets shot, it, it was supposed to be a dummy Cyberman. Like they were like, oh no no no, this is not a real Cyberman. It's just a target used for weapons practice. And you're like, oh okay, that's why it looked so bad. But those two were supposed to be, you know, real things, and it just you're like, oh, I love old Doctor Who with its <laughs> crappy special effects. It's so adorable. It's kind of charming going back to these old to these old ones with that with the you know what they were able to stretch their budget for, and even that is considered going over budget. <laughs> Yeah, I know. You know that there was somebody just off camera, like, blowing up balloons and stuffing them into a Cyberman costume and be like, shut up, it's all we have the budget for, you know. Oh, so cute. Um, and the fact that they have a rocket ship that they came in that we never see because they can't afford it. <laughs> that, yeah, that gadget gets torn up by the uh, by the Cyberman, so that now they're stuck there. Again, riding away so that the that no one can escape. <laughs> yeah, and and they just keep having people like run out the door and be like, "Our our rocket ship is broken. You'll have to trust us because we can't show you a set or anything." You know, it's like not even a because mo- we spent the model money on the Cyberman tomb. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I mean, the the sets actually do look really good. I'm going to give them that. I mean, they they blew the production on the the tomb set which is all icy and you know there's there's like a whole big three-tiered three or four-tiered set that the Cyberman can climb up and down and all that. I mean, that looks really good. I'm not I'm not going to fault them. I was like that that's a really good looking set. Um but there's there's a whole a whole thing where they were like, oh yeah, how did they get here? Um, rocket ship, where is it? It's it's off camera. <laughs> just just have them run in the door and be like, oh, rocket ship. Um, we don't even see the exterior of the TARDIS in this one because they couldn't they couldn't afford the the effect to show it landing. So you just hear the the noise and the actors run <laughs> from off screen. But yeah, it's it's such a it's such a fun little little story and we get the introduction of so many important things in the history of the Cybermen. You know, we get the cyber controller, we get the first Cybermats and the Cybermats are so cute. They are adorable in this episode. They don't really do anything and you don't really understand what they're for. Yeah, I mean, even the doctor has trouble describing them. Oh, that's a Cybermet. Well, what's a Cybermet? I'll explain later. And yeah, then and he goes, then he never does. <laughs> oh, they they read brainwaves and go after people. Well, then what? Uh, I don't know, but we got to make sure they don't do that to us. They at one point it like attacks one of the villains, and at one point there's a couple of them that start chasing the doctor and uh he has to set up a electrical barrier and you know um and there's a nice little gag like hey we gave them a mental breakdown oh doctor uh jamie is not impressed with the doctor's dad jokes (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. The the thing is, is that we we have to talk about the the elephant in the room. You know, you you called you called the doctor and and Jamie's relationship kind of brotherly, um, which a lot of people have said it's probably not. And this this episode contains one of the most infamous kind of things. When they're holding hands. <laughs> yeah, when they, they both of them reach out to grab Victoria's hand to like calm her and stuff, and they end up grabbing each other's hand. Um that was kind of put in there by the actors. <laughs> because, you know, like you said, they're they're friends. Uh and they were known throughout the the series for kind of putting in things that suggested that maybe two and Jamie's relationship was not quite as platonic as it was supposed to be on a BBC kids show. At least that's that's the rumor. But the thing we do know that they have confirmed was that little bit about them grabbing each other's hands in there was absolutely intentional. And they did it at that point because they knew that due to the shooting schedule of that day and how tight it was and everything, that that mistake, quote unquote, was not going to have time to be reshot. I mean, we, we talked about this uh, in the first Doctor episode we did. There was no take two. Yeah, by this point, they they were a little less strict on that. They, they would retake certain things, but not always. You know, it was kind of if they had time or if it was such a horrible, you know, thing that they could not put it in a kid's show, you know? But tiny little things like that, sometimes they would just have to leave it in. And so apparently sometimes uh, Troughton and Hines were known to kind of put in jokes or tiny little things like that. (laughs) Just because they were bored and felt like doing it is supposedly the rumor. Um. So yeah, a lot of a lot of people think that uh, that maybe uh, two and and Jamie might have might have had a different relationship than the one that that was officially scripted. It's a lot of lonely um, nights in the TARDIS. Yeah. Um. So, and and I think I think that that Trout and Hines did. To specifically kind of play into that for whatever 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 means that they there's quite a few pictures of of Troughton without his shirt on and Hines is just having his legs wrapped around him so on and off screen they're just playing that up yeah and uh, and honestly I I find that really hilarious and I kind of love that they they did that you know um it's really a, an adorable, you know, however you want to read that relationship. It is one of the best relationships in Doctor Who. Because of the way that 
episodes were shot. Um, Fraser Hines ended up appearing in more episodes than any other companion. So that will probably never be broken. Just yep. because of the difference in the way the show is shot now. I mean, next season is only going to be eight episodes. <laughs> yeah, I mean. So, the, we're never going to have another 40 plus episode season in Doctor Who ever again. Yeah. Like you said, Jamie did. uh did stay with the, the doctor all the way up until he was forced to regenerate from the second doctor into the third. And then uh, Jamie is said to be sent back uh, by the Time Lords to his own time and has his memory wiped. Yeah, uh, when we get to the final Second Doctor episode, the final Second Doctor story, The War Games, uh, yeah, that's what they end up doing. They take um, Jamie and the companion at the time, Zoe. They have they are returned the moment they left, and all most of their memories. They remember their first. They remember meeting the Doctor. They remember the first adventure with the Doctor, but they don't remember anything else. It was their 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 compromise with the Doctor. We'll let them remember your first adventure with them, but we can't let them remember anything else. So he yeah. remembers that first adventure, and then he wakes up, and then it's back to the battle. Yeah, um, we don't really know what happened to him after that. He gets mentioned a, a couple of times by other doctors. And the last time, as of now, that he's been mentioned in the series proper uh, was when uh, David Tennant's doctor uses the uh, alias James McCrimmon when he finds himself in Scotland in the episode Tooth and Claw. And uh, David Tennant just reverts to his natural Scottish accent for the episode. So it's a a nice little nod. Um, Although some of the uh, tie-in media has brought up Jamie and given him various various stories of what happened to him. But none of them actually jive with each other. So um, Wibbly wobbly uh, timey-wimey, Doctor Who has no canon. (laughs) Yeah. That's my Um, official thing. But yeah, I mean, I mean, he's still uh, Fraser Hines is still active in expanded media. He he was such good friends with Patrick Troughton. He can do a flawless Troughton impression and voice the Second Doctor in several audio adventures. So yeah. yeah. Um, as for Victoria, after she would stay with the Doctor for a little while, up until the uh, the episode Fury from the Deep, where uh, as I've mentioned, Victoria is a teenager. She is still, in some respects, a child. And all of this adventures and excitement and, uh, let's be real, death takes its toll on her. And she just doesn't want to travel anymore. And she ends up, stay, uh, end up staying with a couple with no child some point in the 20th century. And, uh, yeah. 
the last time we we hear about her as far as the official canon of the show is in the two doctors serial um where they mention that she's traveling with the second doctor but you never see her on screen as for uh as for this story yeah as for yeah this story, i mean i mean Kleeg Kleeg is killed just by a random cyberman he's not even killed by the cyber controller well yeah because uh toberman killed the cyber controller <laughs> Or through him, that through a dummy that was supposed to be the cyber controller. Yeah. <laughs> Capkin is killed by the cyber controller with the Cyberman gun, which seemingly snaps Toberman out of whatever control the Cyberman had on him. And I said before, the doctor has to walk him through morality. That's... um. Yeah, it's again Cybermen pro- evil, we kill evil, you kill Cybermen, and yeah, whatever. But though there's a there's a nice even for 1960s, it's a great effect where Toberman like rips one of the Cybermen up and like this foam just starts coming out of him. Out of the Cyberman, and it's for 1960s, that's not a bad effect. Yeah. But, yeah, the, the doctor wants to refreeze the Cybermen, this time, quote, for good, but needs someone to close the door as they re-electrify the door. This time, anybody that touches the door won't just get a shock like the guy at the beginning because he got a shock, but he survived. And the doctor's like, no, 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 this time I'm making it fatal. You touch the door, you die. And it turns out that one of the Cybermats finds the cyber controller and revives it. So I guess that's what the Cybermats do in this story. And the cyber controller tries to open the door and the doctor and Jamie aren't uh, strong enough to keep the door closed. They're trying to push it closed with like pieces of wood they found. But Toberman, uh, who is, who was already pretty strong is now more strong because he's also partially cyber-converted. And Toberman sacrifices himself to close the tomb of the Cybermen, locking them in there seemingly forever. R.I.P. And, Toberman. And he does, he does kind of have a, a kind of have a good, like, you, you shall not pass ending, you know, yeah. where he, like, screams at the cyber-controller, like, you know, you, you will not get past Toberman or whatever, you know. <laughs> Um, the cyber but, controller is seemingly destroyed. He's also gets the electric shock. Amazingly enough, this actually gets that particular cyber controller comes back in, I believe, a six doctor story. Maybe uh, someone correct me if I'm wrong. Which is weird that they decided that far ahead into the story that we're going to take this particular cyber controller and have him come back. But yeah. Toberman closes the door. He gets electrocuted. He dies. He sacrifices himself. And everybody just goes like, oh, well, that was a shame. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> it's really oh. sad, like, how how quickly they're like, well, he's dead. That sucks. Moving on. <laughs> well, we got the ship fixed. We can now leave. We, we, we can give you guys a ride if you want. 
oh, we have our own ship. We can get out of here fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, one Cybermat survives, and seemingly that these Cybermen will return, and they would return just a few months later in the episode Wheel in Space, and would continue to return to this very day. For all its problems, Tomb of the Cybermen is actually a pretty good story, and it's a nice story to introduce someone to the black and white era of Doctor Who. For years prior to, you know, this was one of those lost episodes up until about the early 90s. And up until the early 90s, there was this legend behind this episode. People who were kids when they saw this episode said how great it is and how it's one of the greatest episodes of that era. Do I agree with it? Eh, I haven't seen enough Trouton to actually say so. But if I were to introduce someone, if someone came up to me and say, I want to know about the black and white era of Doctor Who, I would probably show them this episode first because it tells you everything you need to know. The first five minutes is just a straight introduction of the show and the concept. You know, this is the TARDIS. We use it to travel in time and space. You are from Victorian England. He is from the Scottish Highlands. I am an alien from outer space. We are going on an adventure. These are the Cybermen. They are bad. We must stop them. Yeah, honestly, this was the beginning of a new season, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of, I guess, under the idea of like, well, this might be a lot of people's jumping on board spot. Which is strange for classic Who, as usually when they, even in season premieres, they just jump right into the story. For them to make the effort of reintroducing these characters to the audience, uh, I commend them for that. And again, yeah. So if you are curious about the black and white era of Doctor Who, this is a good place to start. Yeah, and, you know, there are some problematic spots, oh, like God, we said, yeah. you know. Um, not so great on the racial angle, not so great on the uh, treatment of women, but less problematic than some other stories in that area. Again, you know, there's no brown face, there's no yellow face, so yay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the thing is, is that I think that other than a, a few small things in the in the story, like I think one of the villains could be fleshed out a little bit more. I think that at least one of the villains worked really well. The story was pretty comprehensible and kept moving uh for a four-part serial it didn't drag too much which is good uh some of the serials just drag on way too long especially those are like six episodes or more oh yeah um so this one was fairly tight and had a lot of good cliffhangers in there especially that that one part where you're watching the Cybermen climb out of the tomb. That's a really good one. Um, and 
you know, good sets and a couple of special effects don't hold up, but you know, most of them are pretty good for, you know, no budget sixties BBC. So yeah. Yeah. I would definitely recommend this. Yeah. Troughton would stay on with Doctor Who for three seasons and his own words were, he didn't want to get typecast. So that's why he left. And that was the, that was the advice he would give to later Doctor Who, Peter Davidson. Three seasons, get out. Which, um, maybe Tom Baker might have, uh, should have listened to that one, but we'll get to that when we get there. But, you know, he didn't want to be typecast as Doctor Who for the rest of his life, so he wanted three seasons, get out. And he would eventually leave in uh, the final story, The War of Games, with, with, you know, same episode that Jamie left. Had his fourth regeneration at the, at the trial, at his trial by the Time Lords. And uh, when we next talk about Doctor Who, it will be the third Doctor, John Pertwee. Definitely looking yeah. forward to that. Uh, that will be uh, sometime. Uh, that will be about a month from now. But as for next week, uh, we're kind of staying in this type of sci-fi star, uh, sci-fi vibe, as we are going to be taking a look at Disney's latest film, Strange World. And that is going to be a very interesting thing to talk about. Again, the movie just came out like a month or so ago. All right. So come back next week for Strange World. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., The American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders. The fight continues.